This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me as always, way over there, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself. You can follow him at jamartisby.substack.com. Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, bro? Oh my goodness, bro. This is, this is, this is epic. Why are you highlighting my mistakes? Why are you saying I got it right this time? I'm I don't understand saying, this. It's, I'm sure you show improvement and progress. It's wow. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if you are watching us, then you see that we are not by ourselves. We're also joined by the Witness Content Distributor, Bria Perry. Bria, what's going on? Hello, hello. It's great to be with y'all. And we are here today to talk about something I feel like is really interesting. We're talking about Christian education. We all have experience with Christian education. As we're sitting here talking a couple of days ago, we were like, you know what? We should probably talk about our individual experiences. So Jamar, talk about your experience with Christian education from kid to now. Yeah, the promise and the peril. Um, So... I grew up going to Catholic school K through eight and then public high school and then Catholic for college at Notre Dame and then Reformed Theological Seminary. For right, school, right, right. So I've had a lot of Christian education. Interestingly, I don't think it was this really sort of principled faith stance on the part of my parents to send me to these schools. Literally what happened was... Our next door neighbor was the principal of the Catholic school. Oh, interesting. Um, My parents were friends with them and trusted them. And it was, it was a really unique experience that I had no idea I was getting at the time because this is a blue collar Catholic school. One of the things I remember most was it, it would seem like every other month we had one of those fundraisers where you would go out and sell chocolate or popcorn <laughs> yep. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> candy bar fundraisers, dog. Was that? Them candy bar fundraisers, exactly, dog. Exactly, exactly. And, and, you know, you'd be competing for the bicycle or whatever the top prize yeah, pizza was. Pizza party around this way, but yeah. <laughs> Little did I know, like, that was really what kept the school afloat. And, um, you know, we were always this close. And right, right now, the schools are uh, shut down. They've, consolidated with other Catholic schools in the area, but it was a really good education, solid education. I had nuns for teachers and yeah. principals and all that stuff. So we grew up, I grew up going to mass and had religion class and all of that stuff. But, you know, I never really thought much about it because it was all I knew for, for mm-hmm. most of my education. What about you, Bria? Yeah, so I grew up the first half of my childhood, so preschool, maybe age three or four to age seven, um, I went to a Kojic Oh, come on, Kojic. Christian school. So this is great. So we're going to have three completely different Christian school experiences. Yes. I love this. So it was a Kojic school. Kojic school. So all black, all black teachers, all black students. I don't think there was it, literally anybody in that school who wasn't black until I went back to that school in sixth and seventh grade. 
Um, and then we had a, I think we had a white art, te- art teacher maybe. Um, but yeah, so tambourines, a washboard, <laughs> prayer cloth, all of that, all of that, oil, fire baptism. So, so you, we, <laughs> uh, you know, and I know I'm a Pentecostal, so I can ask this question: Were y'all dancing in homeroom and doing all that? We did. I mean, like, yes, not uh, in, like, as much as sense, okay, yeah. but like y'all. So, so they were dancing and shouting the yeah, teachers uh-huh. and y'all uh, were yes. playing well at chapel on our fr- our friday chapels nah they will they will go in on the shouts and the speaking in tongues and the you know anointing wow. what was the curriculum like Did, were y'all actually <laughs> was, what was this what was this like it was interesting i really don't know where the curriculum came from it felt like regular you know math science english language arts uh history classes and then bible class i honestly think they kind of riffed off of the Abeka wow. curriculum, which is interesting. Oh, okay. All right, we're about um, to get into that. I don't think it was specifically the Abeka, but they kind of riffed off of it. But the teachers kind of just like went off the dome <laughs> with the Bible classes. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like, okay, what does it mean to be saved, saved, <laughs> right, right. on the ghost? They were like, uh, see, now I, I, I sense a word now. <laughs> a word of knowledge for you, Bria. Yeah, it's literally. Uh, so it was interesting. Um, I don't, like you kind of said, I don't really think I thought anything of it. I thought it was just normal because it was all I knew. Um, and then I went to public school in eighth, I'm sorry, at eight years old. So third grade. I was like, oh, so this is not normal. We don't just, mm. <laughs> you know, go off the dome and, uh, we don't just randomly have shouting sessions in math <laughs> class, you know. Wow. Like people don't. So you telling me y'all really did? No, it, it happened a few times, but like I mean, it was it was stuff. But like what are you shouting play. about in math? Like that's <laughs> what I'm just trying to understand. Like, like a teacher would be like, <laughs> a teacher would be like, "Who Tyler? He is he is behaving today, and we're gonna thank God for that." Class. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, wow. Okay. No, it was real. Now that I pre- now that I like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I like that actually. Um, okay. It's like we've been we've been praising God for Tyler to finally behave today, yeah. and yeah. You know he came in class. Happened. He was on praise. his PZ. Yes, yeah, yes. Shut his mouth oh, look, in math, in math. Oh yeah, you better praise God. We better all shout. You better pray. You better put on the intercom. Have the whole school day. Because in math. <laughs> but yeah, no, it was good too because we would, as we're filing in the class, you know, teachers would pray over us. They would, you wow. know, anoint us and all that good That's stuff. Powerful. It was really powerful really when I think back on it and of course you know you're seven years old and you're just like okay whatever it's another day this is what we're doing yeah. um, but thinking back on it I'm like wow no we were we were really in there we were laying a foundation we, yeah um, and I that's think that that's why my parents you know chose to put me in that environment they were like we don't just want to have a foundation at home we want to put have that foundation in education and in school too um, I think that's I think that's kind of the mindset right. of, of most parents if I'm not mistaken of putting their child in that's really interesting so we have catholic school we have kojic school and then i of course went to (laughs) independent fundamental baptist school the birthplace of a becca book curriculum in pensacola yep um so a school that was i believe it's never they, they never really officially talk about it but i believe it was segregated up until the 80s I wow. could be wrong on that. Maybe late seventies, but I believe it was segregated up until the seventies, eighties. Basically, like a minute ago. Yeah, like a minute ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not too long ago, and then went to that college for two years. Then went to Liberty University, transferred to Liberty University. So I kind of 
jumped out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. But I think for a lot of people, it's different because liberty is a different animal. And for most people, they think that's like the most conservative it can get. And I'm like, nah. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, I came from, I think, probably the most conservative you could get. And a a big part of why we're talking about this is because of what you, you all we're mentioning this idea of parents and why did we go to those schools? Mm. And somebody was asking me recently, again, when are you going to put your kids in PCA, which is the local Christian school? When are you going to put your kids in PCA? When are you going to take them to uh, Alethea or whatever? And I'm like, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) That is not about to happen. So, and I, I had kind of a visceral reaction to it. I'm like, I'm not, you know? And I was just like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. It just came out. Because I struggle so much now from what I learned then, not necessarily. And yes, I think there was a curriculum element, educational element, but the social, spiritual side, the cultural side, it just scarred me. So your school, Bria, was all black. Yes. What was the demographics like in yours? So it's interesting. So it was, so they say the multi-ethnic church percentage is 20%, Mm -hmm. at least 20% of another ethnic group, right? I'd say it was about 30% up until sixth grade. So once you hit sixth grade, you had to sign a form that basically said you can't listen to contemporary Christian music, Christian rap, Christian rock. Wow. Can't go to the movies. So you had to like sign what they call the green form. So basically that was the point where everybody, oh, y'all didn't know about this? It's like a real green form. So they would have the chapel. We'd have the wow. green form chapel where you come in and they would say, oh, yeah. So we're basically trying to create like a clean cut Christian environment. That's what they would specifically say. A clean cut Christian environment. Um, you know, the young men from here on out will have to wear belts and khakis and keep their hair tapered and shave and do all this stuff. And then outside of the school, we want you to maintain the standard of being a clean cut Christian that represents not just God, but PCA as well. So you got to sign this form that says you won't listen to any of these types of music. You won't go to the movies. You won't do all this stuff. And whether you're on campus or off campus, you have to abide by these rules. And so you signed that form. And that was the point where a lot of parents were like, ah, actually, you know, <laughs> like, nah, we're going to go to, you know, we're going to go to the local middle school, like at this point. So let's stop mm-hmm. it and let's move Why forward. Was it green? Was there a story behind it? No, it was just, I think it was just the, the color choice that they had. It was, but it was infamously known as the green form. And I think that's the point where, but up until that point, when you talk about phonetically and verbally, I mean, they would prepare you because they were drill. It was very rigorous in terms of phonetics and spelling and verbal. And so what a lot of parents did was they got that foundation up at the front and then they would send their kids to, you know, public school, Mm -hmm. um, you know, from middle school and high school and things like that. But, you know, now that I look back on it, I see certain things even in the K-5 and the K-4 and all that. And I'm like, you know what? It's propaganda. It feels like (laughs) it just feels like propaganda. Why is P for police? You know, why? (laughs) Why is C not cat? It's cop. Like, I don't understand. You know what I'm saying? Like, why is T Trump? Not really. But you know what I'm saying? Like, basically why is that you know i'm just trying to understand so Mm. i I asked i sat down and talked to my dad about this recently because someone was interviewing me for a story that they're doing and um, i'm not going to be in the story but i was just kind of giving some background on what i experienced and they were like why did your parents send you there if you came from a pentecostal household and i was like you know that's a good question (laughs) It's a good question. Oh, that's my father. Questions yeah. that need answers. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, for real. Yeah. And I think there was this mentality and idea that there was not just the hope of, quote unquote, a better education, because I'd love to hear and unpack what y'all think of when you hear a better education. Mm. Like, what does that mean? Right. Mm. Um, But I think there was a hope of a better education phonetically, verbally. But then there was also this idea of I don't want my child to go to school and get corrupted. Was that something that y'all heard often when you were talking about Christian schools, Christian school environments? I don't want you to go there and become something different, do something different, be, forget what you what you heard. Yeah, okay, so that's interesting. Because our family, my parents weren't especially religious when when I was growing up. I was sort of the first one to really like go all in wow. in an overt way. That's good in high school. Um, so prior to that, it wasn't super high on the radar in our family it was more about literally where can i get the best education and the fact that it happened to be a catholic school was just it happened to be a catholic school um and on top of that my mom was a public school teacher so she really going into this environment every day for a living she taught for a while um there's a naval base close to where we grew up so she taught for a while there um but then most of her career was uh in our local public high school where I ended up going. Wow. So there was no, you know, stark divide right, right. the school where she sent me. And plus my brother and sister had a different educational journey. They went to public schools all mm. the way from K through six. And then only in seventh and eighth grade did they come to my school, the Catholic school for, for them. Wow. Otherwise it was all public there. So there was no, the only time, the first time I really heard any big, separation between Christian schools and public schools is when I went to seminary and mm-hmm. I heard for the first time the term government schools. Wow. Caesar's yeah. School. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so no, they didn't they didn't have a big divide when I grew up. And for you, how was it, Bria, thinking about was there talk about Christian education and a better education and separation from from quote unquote the world? Was that something that was common? Yeah, and I don't even think in the educational sense. I think it was the cultural sense. Um, mm. And there, I think that there was a sense of when I started at the school that my, I don't think my parents put me into the school for the purpose of getting a better education, quote unquote. But when I got in there and they recognized it, like, oh, these teachers don't play. Like you were talking about the phonetics and the language. Mm-hmm. Um, and that building that strong foundation and they were like, okay, well, since we know that these teachers are serious about drilling in, not just that educational, uh, as far as like the traditional mathematics, language, history, and all of that, but also in training children up in, you know, the ways of the Bible. And they felt like this was an extension of train them up in the way that they should go. So when, you know, Mm. they get old, they will not depart from it. And so they saw that we were having, you know, intense Bible drills, the the intense, like. The sword drills? Yeah, yeah, sword drills. drills. Um, I was a sword drill champ, y'all. Don't (laughs) play with me in them sword drills. Me me too. We both were like, oh, yeah. Yeah. One thing. Yeah. Yeah, because we had them. Um, it's funny because we had them in school, and then I don't know if you guys are aware of Awana. It's pretty oh, yeah. big. Yeah. We, but we, I also did Awana. So literally, I was a church kid through and through because it was church at home, it was church at school, mm-hmm. and then it was church mm-hmm. at church within church because we were going to Awana and then having church. Um, oh, yeah. That was, that and was, so that, it was yeah, like yeah. I was getting that drilling and that foundation literally on all sides. And I think that that was part of why 
they wanted to keep me in that school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for us, because of, because it was so, I really think for my parents, it was because of the blackness. Mm-hmm. Um, because That's it's so interesting. It's not like it's, it's not common that you get no. a private Christian school and it's all black. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, a Pentecostal private Christian school is not common in general at <laughs> or at all. I don't know if it, if it exists. There's such um, interesting differences. So my school was probably, maybe, I honestly don't know whether there were more white students or Latino students. Mm-hmm. And then there was a, much smaller percentage of black students because most of the black people were Baptists or some right. strand They're of like, we, ain't, we ain't going to that. No, uh-uh. uh-uh. <laughs> Catholic school, as a matter of fact, one of the memories that stands out most clearly to me is going to Mass every week and then at uh, the Eucharist, um, what Protestant tradition would call communion. All of the other kids would go up, but it would be just the black kids still right. sitting in the <laughs> And I didn't understand the theology of it, so I was like, oh, it was because we're black. Right. We, don't, we don't go up at this time, but it was because we were not Catholic. So um, that oh, was an interesting. interesting demographic thing. And then it, as y'all are talking about sword drills and whatnot, but that's that another crazy. big difference. Like oh, Catholic yeah. school does not, at least mine, um, and, and, the, and the Catholic schools where I was did not do those kinds of right. religious instruction. I mean, it was very much centered on the mass, understanding the liturgy and the symbolism. It was very much centered on um, understanding what it means to be the Roman Catholic, right, in, in the Catholic tradition mm. in all of its different forms. Now, granted, we're, you know, K through eight, so we didn't get right. that deep. But right. it wasn't that kind of evangelical culture of Christian schools that maybe a lot of people think of when they hear that term. So you were talking about it from the perspective of promise and peril of Christian education. And before we kick it to break, I want to ask this question and kind of leave it sitting out there for people to think about over the next few seconds. You know, we're talking about Christian education, not necessarily always longingly, right? We don't always talk about it in a positive light. But looking at where we are now, didn't it work? We'll be right back on Pass the Mic. Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pass the Mic, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. And for just $1 an episode, just a dollar? now that's the bare minimum, that's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, you can go 10, higher. 15, that's 20, right. 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Grieve, Breathe, Receive, Finding a Faith Strong Enough to Hold Us, written and narrated by Pastor Steve Carter. Grieve, Breathe, Receive. Those three words became a profound mantra for Steve Carter during a season of deep healing the kind that comes after painful trauma. Grieve, Breathe, Receive is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. 
Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. So, Jamar, did it work? We're all still Christian. Right. We're all still walking with the Lord. In so, Christian ministry, I think, I think leading a Christian organization, doing a Christian podcast in Christian jeans, in Christian je- glasses. Mm, I don't know Christian. if my jeans are Christian. It's too many holes. <laughs> but it is holy now. Yeah, it's holy. Hey, 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 hey. Okay. I think the question is, are we still Christian today because of or in spite of our Christian education? There you go. Bingo. Yep. Bingo. Yeah. I love that. You know, this is so interesting. I was in a um I was in a hospital recently visiting someone. And because it's Pensacola, a lot of the people, you know, Pensacola is in a huge city. And so uh, uh one of the nurses walked in and she said something about, "Oh yeah, my son went to PCA." And I don't know if she was expecting me to say, "Oh yeah, I did too." You know, because I don't look like a PCA kid anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. And so she was like, really? And so she mentioned the names of her two sons. Um, well, the first one was older than me. And I said, yeah, I know him. And then she's like, well, and then also I have my other son, Billy and John. That's not their names. We say Billy and John, right? So Billy was older. John was younger. And she said, it's so interesting because I would have thought that Billy would have been the kid that didn't want to have anything to do with church because he was a problem child and he couldn't stand that Christian environment and he couldn't stand all of the rules. But John, the one who was like kind of straight laced and embraced it, he doesn't want to have anything to do with church. Hmm. But Billy is like taking his kids to church every week, like involved. And she was, she was mystified at how a child that embraced it in his young age didn't stay with it as he got older. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was mystified and clearly emotional about it. And it made me ask the question, what about, is there anything about Christian school? Did our parents send us there or do people send their children there? Or do we go to Christian colleges because we think that's going to keep us? Because we think that's going to hold us on the path with everything that's swirling around us. Mm. What do y'all think? Easy question, you know, just go ahead, answer it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think what you said about going to Christian college, because that'll keep us. Of course, I didn't go to a Christian college. I went to um, state school, go Seahawks, UNCW. Um, We out here. Uh, but I think that that is why I, as soon as I got into college, literally the first week, I jumped into Christian ministry. Like there was, and of course, wow. with huh. my school, it's like maybe, fi- I mean, literally 50 different Christian organizations on our campus. And so we had this thing called Involvement Carnival where all the student organizations, all of the extracurricular activities would like table outside and like try to get you to join yeah, and mm-hmm. like, you know, make their pitch pitch for their organization. And so the one that I ended up joining um, was out there and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna jump in. Like these, these people seem dope. I want to jump in. And I think that the thought behind that is, of course, one, you want to find community because you're a freshman in college and, you know, you want to find like-minded people. Um, but also just that 
underlying thought of I'm going to need something to keep me grounded yeah. um, in this you know, world, you know what's going to happen, go down in college, you know, you've heard the stories, you've seen the media, you think you know what um, what your temptations are going to be, and you're like, no, I need to, you know, stay on the right path or whatever. I think that's that was my thought, and that's how, that's a lot of people's thoughts when they kind of jump into that. Um, but I think also personally for me throughout my childhood and into my teenage years, I recognized that I was really good at being at performing Christianity. Hmm. Um, and so I was, you know, always that child that adults looked at as like, hey, like she is she is on it. Like she is always she's always got the right answers in the Bible classes and in teen ministry. And she in the Bible. Yeah, right. She challenge. can she can say all 66 <laughs> books of the Bible for hey, don't, don't, don't be knocking sword drills. OK, listen, I promise <laughs> at the beginning of every sermon, when the pastor asks, if you're not there yet, say, hold up. We don't never have to hold up. That's right. all I'm saying. <laughs> OK, that's all I'm saying. I'm there in 2.5 seconds. I'm like, I can say to be attitudes in order, say the Ten Commandments in mm, order, mm. Uh, forward and backwards, one to ten, ten to one, all of that good all stuff. Right, see. Um, and that that was at like seven years old. Wow. And so I think that that foundation was good in a sense of the head knowledge part, but I think it was a at least a small part of how I grew up feeling like because I was performing Christianity well, that I was really deep in the spirit in that sense. And that's that's not to say that the spirit wasn't, you know, active and working in me at that age and throughout my childhood and into college. But I think we just do really well at conflating the the look and the performance and, you know, having the right answers mm. when adults ask, you know, what are you going to do when you you, when you encounter this temptation in the world and how are you going to respond? And I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a fold. I, <laughs> right. <'cause> that, <laughs> right. Obviously, that's what <laughs> they expected me to say. Um, but, yeah, I think all of that to say I was just really good at performing. And I liked – I think I responded well to the reward of having adults tell me hmm. that, you know, I was wise for my age. Wow. I was, you know, yeah, I was that kid. This is really fascinating. <laughs> This is fascinating. Jay, what do you think of when you think of promise and peril? Because that's how we've kind of framed this, like the promise of Christian education, which is you'll get an education that's grounded, rooted in what you believe, but then also the peril, which is you'll oftentimes get propaganda, you'll get used to performing or mm -hmm. all these other things. When you think of promise and peril, what are you thinking of? If we're thinking of evangelical schools in particular. It seems to me that part of the peril is the the homogenous nature of hmm. the entire endeavor, both theologically and demographically, and in in terms not simply of race, but also of class as well. Yeah. So that you can come up in this system with almost no exposure to other people, other points of view, which then leaves you honestly unprepared for, for a lot of it, um, also sets up this us versus them dichotomy of Christians versus the secular world kind of thing. And that the so-called secular world is evil, bad, right. avoid all this, sign the green paper. Also the curriculum, the you know, uh, we can talk more about Becca, but from what yeah, I understand, please, it please. probably um, left out or, or mm, uh, put in a different perspective, some pretty crucial things 
Absolutely. had to be unlearned and relearned. Yeah. So that again is a danger or a peril of the homogenous nature of these things. Um, so it's not just, there's also the, the idea of almost inoculating children to religion and the things of God because it's so pervasive. It becomes commonplace. It, it doesn't feel transcendent. It becomes lumped in with school and right. everyday life, right? I think there's a promise there too, is that it becomes normal to think about the spiritual. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. not some separate category mm -hmm. yeah. in life. That's why I wanted that's fair. Yeah, to that's go fair. to Notre Dame was there were, you know, the professors could pray in, before class. You know, there was a chapel in almost every dorm. Uh, you didn't have to be part of InterVarsity or crew or whatever the college campus ministry was to talk about the things of God. It was just sort of in the air, in the yeah. culture there, which to me is how I try to live. It's like, it's not, okay, this is my Christian hour and this is my regular hour. Right. It's all integrated there. So, you know, in my particular experience, it's, it's interesting because when I think about the peril, I think about this idea of I'm shocked at how people who talk about God, read the scriptures, pray, exercise the spiritual disciplines, go to church, exist in Christian education, stay away from the world have a such a remarkably low view for the power of God to keep them mm. if they truly believe that they're supposed to be kept. Mm. And what I mean by that is it seems as though we think that if we're in an environment that is non-Christian, that somehow we won't live up to a Christian ideal or we won't live up to Christian character, or we won't make Christian decisions, whatever that may mean for people, right? A lot of those are cultural decisions, right? right. But we, we feel as though we won't be able to maintain a witness mm. if we're not in a space with other witnesses. Mm. And why is that? And then it's like, what's the point of being a witness if you're already around? Precisely. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> the witnesses. And just yeah. we get witnesses that gather together. And so I think it's been very interesting to unpack some of the promise, which was really more, was it about maintaining Christian fidelity and integrity? Or was it about a cultural uh, discipleship mm. into a norm of belief that would preserve a standard of a certain group of people and a number of a certain group of people that would keep society the way it is and keep society the way that they thought it should be. And I'm just speaking from my particular experience. I'm not speaking blanket for all Christian schools or all Christian education, but it strikes me how terrified Christian education was of anything that didn't look like it. Yeah. And that's so striking and dangerous. But beyond that, it also makes me ask the question, what were we really doing? Because the cycle of Christian education where I came from was you stay in, you stay in and you never get out. You stay in. So, so as soon as you go to the college, you work for the college. And then after you work for the college, you just marry somebody in the college that you were working with. <laughs> and then y'all go to the college and the campus church and this. And it's like, it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> so how, right. So you literally, the school and the college 
are a block away from each other. So what you're telling me is you're never going to live outside of these two blocks? Wow. It's a whole world out there that needs hope, light, peace, joy, love, and you're not going to give them any? You're just going to stay in these two blocks and train people, other people to stay in these two blocks? And it's shocking to me how much that's the... And I'm like, man, why do we believe that the spirit is that weak and ineffectual that if we get put into a scenario where we're not where we grew up with the people we grew up with who believe exactly like we believe, all of a sudden we're going to lay Jesus down. (laughs) Who said, you know? And it strikes me how many people think that. And I think, I mean, from the perspective of parents, it's like, did they, what are they deciding between, right? Yeah. Are they deciding between... Even if it's like solid public school education, when you're talking about young kids, you're, t- you're really talking about a foundation. So I think, a, well, I would, I would imagine many parents think just like the kids who their parents transferred them after sixth grade. Right. Let's get the foundation there. Right. And then they'll be prepared right. for when they encounter all kinds of other ideas and all kinds of other beliefs Mm -hmm. so i'm just i mean i'm just trying to yeah and we haven't even gotten into like our own kids or what we think we do so how do you think how do you think about that now because i'm in that space i'm in that space too so our son Mm. went to three different christian schools okay all very different experiences one was a horrible experience Mm. and surprisingly it had 40 percent about 40% black kids. Um, so it wasn't all white. It was an evangelical private Christian school. But mm. the leaders were all white. Uh. And uh, I mean, our son was probably in kindergarten at this point and already getting singled out as like a troublemaking black kid. Hmm. Black boy, you know? I mean, I it. he wasn't doing worksheets and they wanted to suspend him. No, I don't like that. No, exactly. we can't do that. Nope, so, nope. Boom. Out of there. We went to another one. Nah, y'all going to see me at that school. Right. <laughs> y'all don't understand. I'm one of them. In y'all's faces. Like, nah, I, I'm picking my kid up every day. What happened? Tell me no what it was. Concept. Right? Uh, we're not doing that. The racialization happening and the stigmatization happening to black children in these environments. We went to another one, um, which was similar to yours. It was a all-black uh, church school. Mm. Um, hmm. Bare bones in terms of resources. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But they knew how to nurture my son. You know what I'm wow. saying? Like yeah. Behavior, talking to, tone, discipline, all of that was much more compassionate and informed. Wow. Then we went to a third one, uh, which was sort of right in the middle. It did have a good amount of racial and ethnic diversity. It still had a majority white leadership, but a little bit more informed. So it was tolerable. Right. So, but now we homeschool because we're in a, we're, we're, we're in an environment where the public education system due to under resourcing right. mm-hmm. is not that great. Mm-hmm. And, um, the only private option is literally the segregation academy hmm. started in the early wow. 1970s when the Supreme Court decided to, 
No, we really, really mean brown meat board. No, that was a, it was a suggestion. <laughs> it's, right. it's the law. It's the law. You know, Fifteen years later, it's the policy. Whatever. So, they like really though. Seriously, right. are you sure? So I mean, the schools right where I am, the public schools are ninety eight percent black, and the private schools ninety eight percent white. Hmm. And so our options. Are That's wild. I can't even conceptualize that. Yeah. The Delta. <laughs> the Delta. But public education in general. So anyway. And it's interesting because, you know, for me, I think what I've seen as very, very important. So my daughter goes to VPK at a public school. And what I've seen as extremely important for her has been um but what I've seen, you know, taking my daughter to a public school has not just been, okay, the socialization, putting her in the real world, things like that. But it was actually very important because if we don't believe in public education and if we don't seek to get involved in certain areas in our local community, for us, what I was seeing is we were seeding ground and Christians did not know what was happening in the public school context. Mm. And so having conversations with believers at, in, in church who had only put their kids in private school, they were shocked to find out certain things that public schools in our area didn't have. Mm. Like they were shocked to find out, oh, and so when you, it, it to me seems like a cycle. Okay, so if we're not volunteering at these schools, if we don't send our kids to these schools, um, if we're not involved in these schools, if we're not helping to, um, be a light in these particular schools. And then when they, when they produce kids, right, that we're like, Oh no, I can't believe this and that. And I can't believe they did this. And look what happened. There's a bomb threat here. There's, I'm like, we're not there, <laughs> you know, like, so we're not helping anything. Like we're just simply cursing it and saying, oh, see, look, see how bad it is. See how bad it is. Mm. And it's like, I feel like it's seeding ground, um, in a way that's, Man, I think all schools have issues and 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 things that can be improved, whether public or private. But it was very important for us to buy in. Is that is that is that so? Some people say, you know, you don't have to make your kids missionaries. You know, is it putting them into an environment where they're expected to be salt and light? No, I just want my daughter to be a kid. But and it was also for us the people that we've met. And the things that we become connected to and the resources, I love my daughter. I love her school. Mm. I love her school. They've grown so much from getting a very low grade. And I've seen the teachers work hard and talk about how they were going to improve overall grades to getting a big jump this last year. It was just so encouraging and inspiring to see. They take this seriously. I know the principal. It was like, no, but this is a school that's in an area that a lot of people would say is not the best area. Mm. But I think I've learned a lot. I think my daughter's learned a lot. We've learned a lot. And I think the overarching point of all of this is, you know, we we need to be mindful of the world in which we construct for ourselves and our families. That's critical. Absolutely. We need to be mindful of it. And I don't think there's a right and a wrong in the right. sense of don't send your kids to private school, don't send your kids to public school, homeschool your kids. Whatever decisions you make are the decisions you need to make for your children. But I'm just fascinated by the world in which we create for ourselves. And that forms not just us, but our children as well. I mean, I I want to hear your thoughts, Bri. I'll just add this real quickly. Any decision that you make is going to have pros and cons, assets and deficits. 
And as adults, you have to figure out which ones you're okay with, but also how to sort of augment what may be a deficit or a gap or a drawback in whatever choice that you have. So your homeschooling, Mm -hmm. socialization, if it's a Christian school, access to and contact with non-Christian spaces and, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's not a choice of right and wrong. Like you're saying it's, but it's also not a passive, well, we made our choice and that's just that. Right. There's still work to do. Yeah. Be open to shifting and adjusting with more information. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the idea of giving your children a strong foundation, um, so that they won't, that, that they won't, you know, depart and stray from, uh, the kingdom, I guess, the kingdom of God. Um, I think that sometimes there's a conflation of, I think that there's mm-hmm. a fearful, yeah. yes. like, I would say for me personally, it wasn't that I didn't want to depart. It was that I was fearful of what would happen if I did hmm. depart. And so I never wanted to explore what it would look like to not do this Christian thing. Um, and I think that that is part of maybe an unintended purpose of Christian education is, is of course you want, you know, children to want to stay connected to the word and to want to stay connected to the faith community. Um, and, you know, doing church and doing, um, just being a part of the faith. Um, but I think it unintentionally ends up being that we're just afraid of what will happen if we go anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's got to be, like you're saying, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's a matter of, I think, just having conversations about, hey, like, what are you thinking about all of this? And how is it affecting you? And um, what are your doubts and your questions? And there's, mm. I, I think that there's a, a, we, a lot of us grow up feeling like there's no room for doubt. Because if we doubt, then we're, you know... Wow. And then if you go someplace that is not like actively inculcating that. Right. This is so, this brings up, and I know we have to kind of wind down, but one of the things I will say is like, this really strikes me, that fear that you mentioned. It was 2005, right before I was getting ready to graduate. And um, I had an opportunity to go to University of Florida. And University of Florida, I, you know, root for Florida sports, University of Florida sports, all the above. But they were like, yo, we'll give you an academic scholarship to come to University of Florida. And it just so happened that I was able to tour the campus with like a touring group or whatever. And coming from Pensacola to an environment that's pretty much the college is the size of your city. I was like, whoa, you know, it just blew up all my norms and I remember I got into, but I, I saw the people and I saw the faces and I saw the experience of college. And I got into the car and I remember I said, if I go here, uh, I won't be a believer anymore. Mm. Yeah. If I go here, like, I'll wild out. I don't know why I said that, but I just literally said, if I go here. That was my same thought with not going to an HBCU, (laughs) funny enough. Um, And I don't know what made me think that, but I literally decided as soon as I got in the car, it was out of, and it was not a mental decision out of 
It, it had nothing to do with the quality of education, had nothing to do with being able to afford it, had yeah. nothing to do with my chosen pathway, had nothing to do with any of that, had everything to do with, I was afraid. Yep. Yep. And I said, as a result of that, because it had been from Christian education put into my head from a young age and partially from parental instruction and church instruction, that if you go off to college or if you get an education that's not specifically Christian education, you're going to start believing any and everything. Yep. And I think maybe the thing we need to address more so than the educational choice is fear. And how much of our theology is fear-based. And how much of our, not orthodoxy, but orthopraxy, our praxis, the decisions we make as a result of our theology is fear-based. I think that's the thing we have to sit with, wrestle with, and contend with. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.